and welcome back to How Good Is That? Season 3 to Hollywood, Episode 9, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. The film we've been waiting for for the last nine weeks is finally upon us. We have literally, the three of us, just gotten back from the movie theater. I'm Dan. I'm a big plate of disappointment and sadness. George. 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 <laughs> Who's George? Good pull. Uh, George Spahn? Yeah, the guy who owned the ranch. That he was trying. Bruce Dern. Bruce Dern. Oh, George Spahn. Yeah. Spahn Movie House. Mm-hmm. Bruce Spahn Movie Ranch. That guy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Supposed to be have been played by uh, 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 Burt Reynolds, but Burt Reynolds died. Yeah. I don't know if that would have made it better wow. or worse. But they got Luke Perry in before he died. Before right. he died, yeah. Um, Wild. I don't, but I don't know if, if uh, Burt Reynolds would have been better or worse in that role. It would have been a bit more believable that Squeaky Frome wanted to fuck him. Yeah. Because he's not ancient. But uh, it would have been better, Bruce Dern, anyway, so that it keeps with his his group the, of the, yeah. peeps. The regular where, where they actually where they actually put it in the credits. The gang, the gang. That's what it was. The gang. Yeah. Also great that he still credited Tim Roth, even though he got cut. Yes. <laughs> with a bracket cut mm-hmm. next to it. Thought that was pretty good. Agreed. Um, so uh, right off the bat, I'm going to let everybody uh, know that we have um, a spectrum of opinions here. Where if you imagine a spectrum, say, from um, uh, I wish I could have my three hours back to, hey, that's pretty fucking good. Uh, Daryl falls under I wish I could have my three hours back. I wish I died of a massive heart attack before I walked into the movie theater. Heart attack, ack, 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 ack. You, you ought, ought to know, know by now. now. Uh, I fall under the, hey, that was pretty good. And based on what he was saying after the film, we're going to make a make a leap here and assume Max falls somewhere in the middle of that. Somewhere in the middle. Not quite, not quite to Daryl's so disappointment We are Goldilocks. Level. Yeah, too hot, too cold, and hey, Max is a bear. I it's, I, I'm not hairy enough to do that. But <laughs> no, Dar- of of any of us, if any of us are a bear, Daryl's the bear. I'll be the big huggy bear. <laughs> I don't like. I don't know what the the name in the gay. <laughs> I don't know what the name in the gay community is for fat hairless dudes. But whatever that is, we got that one unlocked. Naked mole rat. <laughs> Naked mole rat. <laughs> Raw chicken breast. I see. Because <laughs> uh, we're definitely not otters. Because otters are like in shape hairy dudes. Is that an in shape hairy dude? Yeah. Huh. Otters are like like thin bears. Okay. Not fit like like dad bod. If you're familiar with a dad yeah. bod fat, like a dad bod gay would be an otter. They hit clams on rocks and things like that. Yeah, they, they use tools. Okay. I'd um, be a bear, wouldn't I? Yeah, that's what I said. You're the bear. The okay. two of us are not. Uh, why? Just because you're less hairy? Yeah. Yeah, I don't have no. much hair. I can show you my back. There's nothing there. I can show <laughs> you my back. <laughs> my back's not hairy. My chest is. Hairless. Yeah, see, like, Tell oh, me, princess. Gray chest hairs. Yeah. Did you no, I'm last not like, yeah. Yeah. Nothing. Like you look like someone sandpapered your chest. <laughs> I could open your eyes. Ass. I could open your ass. Take you wonder by wonder. Can we not right now, please? Oh, sorry. Why have you? Why have you never become a singer? What's your golden tune? That's fucking why. Uh, if you go back about three or four seconds, you'll find out. So anyway, <laughs> request lines are open for more of Max's Karaoke golden melodies. Uh, I, oh, was, I was really taking. I was following the movies thing, just really taking my time trying to fit in the music I want to fit in. I was. I was considering uh, suggesting that we do a live stream of karaoke sometime, like just get rip roaring drunk and do a karaoke live stream. Because I saw I saw that the other night on somebody's stream. It wasn't anybody of note. It was I was browsing and I saw I was like, this is amazing. These people are hammered doing nice. karaoke. And I was just like, we could do that. So speaking of getting your favorite tunes in. Yeah. Half of this movie felt like just people driving around in cars so Quentin can put his favorite songs in. Nah, you know what this movie was? This was Quentin's victory lap. 
You think so? This was his victory lap. This was his, I did it. I did the Hollywood. And I'm going to give you my love letter to my favorite place in America, 1960s Hollywood. Let me, let me uh, tell you what I think. Please. That's what we're here to do. I think, he broke down before he started the victory. <laughs> I think that we know what Daryl thinks. Yeah. I think that it is the reason he chose to make this movie now is because I think in 30 years, mm-hmm. somebody will make this movie about right now yep. because of streaming and the way things are changing so much. I think we're going through the second death of Hollywood. Yep. So I think that's why he wanted to make this movie now. It's the only thing I this can is, think of. This well, and, and to me, honestly... <laughs> This is his love letter to his this because like if you know Quentin Tarantino, he loves vintage Hollywood. It's like he, he bought the New Beverly because yes. he loves vintage Hollywood, right? He bought an entire movie theater just because he loves vintage Hollywood. He throws screenings there all the time on thirty five of classic films. Mm-hmm. Like he loves this particular Hollywood, but he didn't show it. He didn't show how he movies the, are made. He, he didn't show how scenes are crafted. Didn't say that's what he loved. He loves the the town. The time, like you can tell in so in the shot when uh, the night, the the August 9th, when all of the uh, all of the neons coming on and the signs are coming on. Spoiler alert. Yes, takes place in August. I I mean, just in general, Uh, this whole podcast. Yeah, no, we we, I'll put it up beforehand, but good idea. If you've not yet seen Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, massive spoilers, which by now you should know this. We're going to do the same thing to this movie that we've done to every other movie. Yeah, we're going to talk about the plot. (laughs) We're going to talk about everything involved. So, uh, I don't think we have up until now. We've just said our opinions. What, that it's spoilers? Yeah, I don't think we've said anything spoiler yet. Thus far? No. We have not actually spoiled anything. I've spoiled some people's dinner with my singing of uh, Aladdin, (laughs) but other than that. Laddie? Al. Al. Yeah, but yeah, I I think the so that but and it, so my point is that that scene the aesthetics when are the light huge. comes on when the light comes on behind the Cinerama sign when the light comes on behind oh, yeah. um, the man's uh, and Musso and Frank's yeah. like all of these uh, Hollywood landmarks these these L A landmarks this is this is Hollywood Musso and Frank's is still there and it's still man's Chinese is still there yeah, too it's yeah. still clean and I think the Cinerama dome is still there Great. they just don't use it for stuff so you can and do so, a- Music video of that, not a three-hour movie. Uh, but that's. But here's the thing, though. Uh, two hours forty-five. And Quentin Tarantino <laughs> doesn't know how to make a movie under two and a half hours anymore. He just can't do it. Yep. You know, he he cut from this movie. He cut from cut Hateful Tim Eight. He, yeah. He cut from Hateful Eight. Django. He cut from Django. He cut from Inglorious Bastards. These are known things that there's like basically since Kill Bill, right? Yeah, there's minutes that exist on the cutting room floor, and. We still have the the epic lengths that we have now. I said it when we were leaving the movie theater, and I'll say it again. I can absolutely point you to 15 or 20 minutes could have been cut out of this movie that we would not have lost a single part of anything, and it would have improved the overall viewing experience. But that's not the storyteller that Quentin Tarantino has been for the last 15 years. Right. Early on in his career, especially uh, Reservoir Dogs, Pulp Fiction, it was beat, 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 beat. He wrote like a screenwriting textbook. He wrote beat. Get to the next beat. We were like Quentin writing. Well, yeah, Yeah. Quentin writing a screenwriting textbook. He he wrote like the guy who learned how to screenwrite at a video store. Yeah, because that's what he was because he worked at a video store. If you don't know his backstory. Uh, So he wrote like that guy. And as his career has gone on and as he's gotten more comfortable in telling the Quentin Tarantino story, right? The, the, The way he tells a story, it's gotten longer. 
and it's gotten more arduous because it's less about the story as it is the art of the craft, mm -hmm, right? Mm -hmm, Say mm -hmm, what you will mm -hmm. about the pacing, because look, walking out of this movie, as somebody who would, I don't think I'd put this in my top three, but it's pushing close. Hmm. It's pushing close because... I think, yeah, you're way ahead of me then. Yeah. Because... How many movies has he had? This is nine. Nine, so yeah. this will be 13 for me. And that's, and, and again, to each their absolute <laughs> own, but my point in all this is... But, but there, there is no cohesive story to this. It's not storytelling. It's just... It's it's basically two thousand one a space odyssey in Hollywood. It's just yep. a bunch of stuff. It's this is this is a tale about the town. This isn't Rick Dalton's story. This isn't what town? Sharon Tate's town? story. What Hollywood. Hollywood. I'm talking about L.A. Hollywood. I don't even see that. Just because he shows a bunch of pictures of neon signs, I still don't. What's the aesthetic of it? it? It's like the people walking around, all the hippies, and them griping about the mm -hmm. hippies, and that's kind. Of, I think that's, it's it's a slice of life picture more than it is. It's like two thousand one, right? That's why I keep saying it's like two thousand one. It's yeah. like, do we need to watch people? Eat? Well, I never saw two. Do we? Really? Oh, you never. Wow. Because the you would hate if you if you have problems with the way this movie is paced, you'd hate that fucking movie. Yeah. Because that movie, this movie, at least went like ten or fifteen minutes between interesting points. There's like forty five minute stretches of two thousand one where literally you have a couple of orchestral hits and long shots. There's um, when we did the hateful eight episode, I said the opening to hateful eight that like all the images and the like the profound and music how slow was and... very Kubrickian. That was the reason I said that because two thousand one. Yeah. There's literally just you watch like a screen of one color. And it plays the Blue Danube, which is the dun, 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 dun. Yeah, that it plays that for. I think it's five or six minutes. It's all. It's at least two or three for yeah. sure. It's a flat. Yeah. It's a flat color. One and color. That song. That's for it. Almost five minutes. Yeah, it's nuts, dude. Yeah, and so so this this is more about this is so it's a story about the the main character is not Rick Dalton. The main character is not Cliff. The main character is not the Manson family. The main character is not Sharon Tate. The main character is not Roman Polanski's puff shirt. It's are you sure? It uh, relatively puffy shirt. It's the town of Hollywood. It's the Playboy Mansion. It's uh, the the highway. It's the cinema. It's every part of the city that we visit is the character. Yeah. Right. It's 1968, 69. This is the beginning of 69. The beginning of the movie. It's 1969. In Los Angeles, the very specific thing telling a very specific story, and it's Quentin Tarantino going. I like this. You like me, so you like this. It's, I think. I think it's. It's his I, most masturbatory work. I'll give you that much. Oh, I, I don't know. Like after watching it, I don't know if he's trying to say like Hollywood changed, but it still is. Like it's still there. It still exists. Cinema mm -hmm. can't die. I don't know if that's. I I think that's what he's trying to say here. In that, like, don't be afraid of Netflix and mm -hmm. the streaming at all groups. That there's still going to be studios, there's still going to be film. The idea of cinema we've will carry on. We've been through this since, since the talkies. Yeah. So Actually, it's... we've been through it from Max Sennett Studios into the evolution of the other studios in the teens and 20s. Yeah. And then into the talkies, and then into color, and then into the shift from uh, the classic cinema, the westerns and stuff like right. that, into 60s modern into the cinema. 70s, right? And like then, the indie yeah. culture. And then from that into action films of the 80s into blockbusters then into indie cinema the way we know it today and now again like hollywood is this forever evolving and changing character yep. in the background of american the american cinema tradition yeah and so what we're getting here is not what we're getting we're getting to see tarantino's love of this particular town at this particular time as shown through, you got to tell a story, right? You can't just make this three hours of cool shots. There's got to be some frame narrative. There's a bit. 
Well, no, so, no, I'm, I'm not talking about in the film. Like, yeah. to do that, yeah. so you have to have a frame there. So then why put the Manson stuff in it at all? It wasn't needed. I think... Um, it, sell the movie. So you get to the very... Yeah, all right, so then that's not unfair. Well, I think... That, that's, that like you said, it's a bait and switch. Mm -hmm. well, I think um, his, nor his normal movies are kind of based on violent endings... So the te so to me that was just thrown in to have a gratuitous violent ending that had nothing to do with the rest of the movie. There was not even hints of violence. Like I thought at least maybe they would show like how the mobs involved with Hollywood or or the politics of Hollywood and there's some violence and there's some there's some um um um, 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 jealousy, mm -hmm. but there there wasn't that much of any of that, and then all of a sudden the ending they just throw a gratuitous violent scene, which of course to me was the best scene of the whole movie. But well, that's what you. But it had nothing to do with it. So here's here's my question for you, and this is something I was talking with uh, Natalie when we left the theater. Did, were you expecting Quentin Tarantino does the Manson family out of this movie? That or like I just said, mm -hmm. more where they. They did the seedy underworld of yeah, Hollywood. The underbelly of Hollywood. Well, here's what I think. The reason I think it was there is because I think it represents the de partially the decay of what was once Hollywood. Because mm -hmm. they go to that ranch where Cliff was, and he's like, "This used to be a like a place we made like important. We made work. television. We this, made movies. We made art out here, and now it's a bunch of fucking weirdos who are taking advantage of the guy who owns it and selling tours of the canyons to." Tourists from Kentucky or Correct. Tennessee, wherever they were from. Yeah, so it's it's. I think it. I think it's there supposedly or seemingly at least you know from a metaphorical standpoint to represent the decay in part of Hollywood. The death. Well, of you Hollywood. could have you could have done that without having the Manson family. In Agreed. There. Well, so but the other thing is, if you're going to tell the story of Hollywood in the late '60s, like '68, '69, '67, '68, '69, but you cannot tell that story of Ho capital H Hollywood without Charles Manson. Because Charles Manson and the Manson family were a huge part of Hollywood in that. Basically, from the time that he met fucking whichever one of the Beach Boy brothers, I can't ever fucking remember which one it is that he met at the bar. Brian Wilson's Brian, the only one I know the name of. <laughs> it was the, he was the other Wilson. But either way, whenever he met... Whenever he... Because uh, he met him in a bar, Charles Manson did, and the dude was immediately enraptured by him, like everybody was, because Manson was a... a prolific motivator of people and, and speaker and he, he could enrapture people with his words from that moment the entire culture of hollywood shifted but the entire culture of hollywood culture shifted around people's relationships with this guy and the fact that they had this movie ranch i forget the name of the guy who the actual guy who was who spawn in this uh that that's what happened. The dude, it was a it was a decrepit old place. They used to shoot westerns, and he leased it to Manson for like a nickel to to live there with the family, and it became this weird hippie cult commune. And Hollywood, suit wearing Hollywood, Al Pacino Hollywood, hated that part of Hollywood culture. People like a Rick Dalton who had been television or Hollywood because this was in the time when all that TV was still made in Hollywood. Too. It wasn't like TV hadn't gone to Vancouver yet. TV hadn't come to wherever else it's shot now. Atlanta. Atlanta, big big one for TV and movies, right? Everything was still shot. Like every Western or Star Trek, we we're talking about the original series, all those, uh, every desert planet in Star Trek, the original series, was shot in the same place they shot fucking, uh, you know, the Lone Ranger, Outer the Virginian, Limits. Outer Limits was shot out there. Yep. It's all these mountains east of LA. They just would just truck up there and just do it. And the same with they had the ranches where they'd shoot shit and everything else. Like everything was 
everything for television, for cinema, everything was, if it was shot in America, it was shot in Hollywood. And so you had this denigration of American culture, the American culture that existed before the hippie period, starting in the summer of 1968, when you had the summer of love and hate Ashbury in San Francisco, and then it made its way down to Los Angeles. And what we think of California now, right? We think of California now as a liberal, hippie, yuppie kind of place where young, white, rich people live and play, and it's permissive, and it's liberal, and it's, you know, whatever we think of Hollywood, right? That wasn't the case then. Hollywood existed for business people. Actors were not the actors like we see them now. They were business people. They were also ridiculous drunks, and and they they would they were very much... Uh, well, they did a good job of Brad Pitt's character on that. <laughs> I mean, everybody, everybody like that. Once again, as somebody and I said this to you guys, and I might have said it in the last 20 minutes, I don't remember. Uh, as somebody who has a deep fascination with that period of Hollywood specifically, not necessarily the movies, but the culture surrounding cinema, the culture surrounding television during that time period, because it was so staggeringly interesting. This movie is like a slice of life picture. Honestly, it felt like one of those European art house pictures that just shows you like, it felt like Quentin Tarantino makes the red balloon about a day in Hollywood instead of a kid chasing a red balloon. Right. And so what you see is three days in Hollywood, mm -hmm. three days in Hollywood. You see the interconnected stories of people. You, you see what is going on around this time. Yeah. Period. Like a less tight link letter picture. Mm. <clears throat> That's a good one. Something that link letter, like, Think about, or, or here we go, think about Dazed and Confused, right? Mm -hmm. Dazed and Confused is one day, yeah. not even a 24-hour period, or just about a 24-hour yeah. period by the end of that film. Last day of school to yeah. the morning. To, to the, the morning after day, yeah. when they are at the football field. So you have about a 24-hour period of time yep. displayed in that film. That film is also very long to it do is. that, but it goes beat, 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 because it is an enormous cast. It does. And every cast member, unlike this film, where I will stand by my claim that the town is the main character, every character in Dazed and Confused is the main character. Yeah. There, there are, you know, you, you can say Pink Floyd Pink, is the main yeah. character. Um, you can say that the... Mitch uh, is the main Mitch, character Mitch, that's his minute. fucking name. Yeah. Mitch is the main character. You can, But there, there are... Everyone has an important arc. Absolutely. Every character in that movie arcs. That's why it's so great. That movie's great. Fucking O'Bannon arcs in that movie, which you wouldn't expect. <laughs> Fuck you. Fuck you, indeed. Ah, that movie's good. The Soul Pole. I love that movie. But this movie tells three days in the life of these particular people as shown through what they're doing. Now... If that ain't your kind of fucking movie, it's going to be fucking boring as piss to see this movie. It is very un-Tarantino in a lot of respects. Like it doesn't have the frenetic pace. Like, there's a lot that's the, not normal. And I think Daryl's on, on board with this, too. The dialogue, it definitely wasn't as snappy as usual Tarantino dialogue. I think the snappiest moment for the most Tarantino-y dialogue moment is when uh, DiCaprio is talking to the little girl when they're reading the books next to each other. And then he realizes that the book he's reading is just an allegory, allegory for his, his own career. life. Yeah. yeah. Is really interesting. Like, but I think that's the snappiest moment that or him and Emil Hirsch through the fence at the end. That's, that was really, cause that was very, that was the old Tarantino of something horrible just happened. 
we're going to have a mundane conversation. That we're just like uh, a lot being said. It's a rare Tarantino movie, movie moment where he doesn't have them say a whole lot, mm-hmm. but a lot's being said right under the surface. Yes. <clears throat> well, because we know, yes. right? We as the audience know what's just happened. Mm-hmm. Emil Hirsch doesn't know what's just happened. Right. Also, the fucking line when he's <laughs> explaining that it didn't go so well for the hippies. Yeah. I almost burst out laughing because that was... Uh, first off, an extreme understatement. Second off, very Tarantino, by the way, that he kept the flamethrower and it still worked. That when he busts out, when he goes back, into, when he runs into, like, into the, the pool, pool house, house yeah. and I'm just like, what's he? And you see just the nozzle come out. I was done. I was like, are you fucking kidding Kicks me? Kicks out with a fucking... Two things in the theater. You see that and you hear Dan go, what? <laughs> I mean, look. It's like, hey, they paid off the flamethrower. <laughs> they paid off, they paid, the, he mostly... I think he paid off his, everything. He mostly set up and paid off, like, it was a lot of painful moments, like setting up how much, how heavy and dense the dog food is. Yeah. Like, the raccoon flavored dog food. The, the rat, rat and raccoon, raccoon flavor. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's pretty like, that's pretty, like, it's pretty sloggy at points and like that Brad Pitt doesn't fit in anywhere. So that's See, why he, I kind of like that it. though, because it felt, it, it gave you the character dichotomy. I, I was fine with that, but make that scene three minutes shorter. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, do we really so, need like 45 seconds of him eat, watching TV and eating Kraft macaroni so, and cheese? So to me, he's like the ultimate, he's like the ultimate loyal guy. Mm-hmm. But you know what? Now that, now that you're talking about the, 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 the three minute scene with his dog, mm-hmm. he's actually Leonardo DiCaprio's dog. A little bit. Yeah, he, he is the dog. The dog is... It's very... There's a lot of allegory here. What this is, too, I think... I, I can't... And we've watched all of them now. I can't think of another Tarantino movie that's heavier in allegory, right? There's a ton of story that's not story. Very un-Tarantino. Yeah, there's a ton... Like, Tarantino is a show-and-tell director. Yes. He will tell you what's happening, and he'll show you it while it's happening. Yep. This is a very show-and-let-them get... That's why I said it feels like a European art house film. It yeah. really does. Like, this feels... At times... Then there's the shit where... Like he's in Italy making movies. Like the whole the whole Italy plot. I get it because it pays off the dinner conversation at Musso and Frank's. Yeah, but uh, it doesn't. It literally doesn't actually service the plot in any meaningful way, except to set up that Rick and Cliff are going to have to go their separate ways, which sets up the drunk, which sets up Cliff being at his house with with the dog that night. Yeah. Another part of that. And that it's very disappointing that they landed uh, Al Pacino to have his character kind of describe how you have to, you can't be the, what did they call the term for the villain? Heavy. The heavy. Yeah. yeah. You have to go beyond that. But he just, just his dialogue was just like reading a textbook on how how you sustain your career. It's Hollywood. But, but it's a shame that they got, someone like Pacino who in a lot of films has great dialogue to just be very mundane and just... he's got a big ass <laughs> see i thought i thought i thought he handled being an expository character very well also because there's a lot you have to like who else do you give that role to because well, it is just also think about exposition think about role. him he's in his 70s his mid 70s and he hasn't really led a film in a while think about that yeah. right He's delivering expository dialogue explaining what happens to older actors as an older actor who has not worked anywhere near his previous volume of work in the last decade. Now, that may be by choice. I don't know. I don't know if he's gone I'm out sure for roles he's he hasn't gotten. And, stuff. Yeah. and I know he's done, like he did, um, he did a, a 
the Merchant of Venice where he played Shylock. Yeah. Uh, which apparently was was really good, and like I wouldn't I wouldn't picture him as a Shakespearean actor, but apparently he played Shylock. It was very good. That might have been more than a decade ago now. I don't remember, but like he's done stuff, but yeah. not to the volume that he had there for the bulk of the middle of his career. And so what you have again is, you know. <laughs> You feel like the fucking the homeless dude or whatever. He's the dude from fucking Pretty Woman. Welcome to Hollywood. What's yeah. your dream? Yep, you yep. know, like it's very much, uh, very much exactly that, right? It's like this is Hollywood. This is the land where dreams are made and shattered. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Uh, no, what's the line from the Surf Rats album? Welcome to California, the land where uh, dreams are both realized and shattered. That's uh, what it is. California. Yep. Yeah. I love that song. Shout out to the Surf Rats, a band who probably don't even exist anymore. I wager a bet. If not, they're probably playing like bar gigs in California. Yeah. But yeah. So, I mean, this movie definitely has a lot of different from the usual Tarantino fare. I don't think it sticks the landing on a lot of it where it's just it's it, ha- it suffers from a lot of the Tarantino isms. And you brought this up earlier with where things drag and go on a little too long. And again, you pointed out, Dan, the, the masturbatory nature of it. It's easily his most masturbatory film. It's it's, it's I'm going to sit here. I love this shit. So I'm going to sit here repping it and making you watch. And he's got he had final cut on this movie. It's maybe the first movie that he had true like Stanley Kubrick level final cut. Mm-hmm. It's and, the first one I didn't see the Weinstein company on it. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. It's the post the first post Bob and Harvey movie. Yeah. So it was get uh, fucked, Harvey. <laughs> well, well. <laughs> Or don't get fucked anymore, I guess. Yeah, that's what I was like. It's oh. hard. Like I, I was talking, to, I was talking with somebody about turfs the other day, and I was like, "Suffer well, turfs." So just just tell people somebody to suffer. Yeah, suffer. How about suffer? That's a good one. Suffer. suffer. Yeah, come on, suffer. But I think there is a lot of the problems of a Tarantino movie that we've talked about in past episodes that come into play here, and there is the tremendous differences in what he was going for, on the whole. That also make this movie certainly a miss for someone like Daryl, certainly a miss for someone who's coming into a Tarantino movie for the Tarantino bit. Like, imagine you come off, you've only ever seen Pulp Fiction before, maybe like Pulp Fiction and Django or, or uh, Hateful Eight, right? The, sure. the big ones from the last couple of years, or God forbid, someone who's only seen Kill Bill. Right. And then you come in and you see this. Yeah. It's like, whoa, that's not, that's that's a cognitive dissonance that I think would be very difficult for a lot of people to well, What about us to solve them all and then went into this? Yeah. I mean, look, there there is definitely a Tarantino pace. This is more Tarantino the man makes a movie than Tarantino the movie or the filmmaker makes a movie. Yeah. This is Quentin Tarantino, because you also notice shitload more feet in this one. So this is this is f- noted all foot pervert. All against the glass. Yeah, yeah. The this first is- time you see fucking Margot Robbie, you see your feet. This is noted foot pervert Quentin Tarantino gets to make a movie where no one's telling him how few feet he has to have or how many feet Stop he's allowed to have. Was it was you that made the joke last episode about now we'll finally get to know what Margot Robbie's feet yeah. look like? Because as soon as I saw her in a fucking theater with her feet up, I was like, God damn it, Max. Yep. Yeah, Max rules. <laughs> it's, you called it 100%. Yep. But then her, then the girl with her feet up on the glass. all yeah. the, fucking, the armpit hair girl. All the fucking, Ugh. all the filthy feet from, uh, from the ranch. Yep. Like... There was feet all over. Men feet, women feet. Tarantino, please put your dick away. <laughs> there was no dick in this movie, though. I'm like, hey, Felipe. Nah, Quint, put yeah, your dick away. Too, too much of a close up of uh, Leonardo DiCaprio and the floaty in the pool. <laughs> That's I got to turn my head. Can't look at that. <laughs> I also I I love Leonardo DiCaprio as a performer. Like I've I've been a fan of Leonardo DiCaprio since I was a kid. Saw him on Growing Pains. Like, because he's only a few years older. I won't older sing than that I again, everybody. Like, don't please worry. don't show me that smile. Uh, so, 
Was that was the? Did you see we did that? Uh, no. What's this? It was. Are you sure? Yeah, Daryl was disgusted with us. Okay. With what? The Growing Pains theme song. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. For some reason, it was yeah. the, the other cast. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. I was. I. I was thinking his uh, acting wasn't so hot in it, but I think that was because that ca- character is not supposed to be great until he does the scene with the little girl where he throws her down. That was incredible. and that was a great scene. And he, and even the little girl whispered in his ear. That was the best acting I've ever seen. And then seen. he cried. He started that was to so cry. Good. It's good. And I, I loved him. Sorry, three dead. Don't worry. I wear pads and for fun, I throw, throw myself, myself on the floor. <laughs> she was great. That was the first time she sounded like a child. child. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. She, you know, she was the most Tarantino character in the whole thing. Oh, yeah. Because that scene when is they're reading anybody? the books. Is she like anyone's not yet. child? She's a, she's a person, for sure. Yeah, but she's not like a, like a, uh, a an actor or actresses. Not so I was far really, as I know. There was a few uh, surprises that I was really happy to see. Timothy Oliphant made me really happy. Oh, yeah. Oli Fantastic did was a great Johnny Madrid or whatever his name mm-hmm. was. That was great. I was like, oh, Timothy Oliphant. That's great. <laughs> There's, I didn't see Clue Gallagher, even though he was in the credits. I got to figure out where the hell he popped up at. The only thing, though, with that scene where he did that great acting job, it didn't do anything for him, though, did it? Because right after, even the director said how great he was, right after that, he's, he's going to Italy. Right. To do, so... That great acting, what was that, his final hurrah for American cinema? Well, I think it's it's a very unknown. It didn't, like, revive his career. That's why I think he was at the end of after, like, you just murdered somebody with a torch and you're going to go hang out with your neighbors. So, well, your neighbor Sharon Tate, who in this case is an up-and-coming pretty hot actress, uh, I'm going to go talk to her, and I think that's part of him servicing his career, right? Like, he's always working kind of deal. So I think that's part of it, too. George Spahn was actually the guy who owned the ranch. That okay. was actually his name. I, I thought they'd used a, a pseudonym for it. But can we also talk, because I'm, lo- I'm just looking at the cast now, can we fucking talk about how much Damian Lewis looked like fucking Steve McQueen? Oh, yeah, that was that cool. That was fucking... Te- when they were doing that ECU on him, I was like, that's just fucking Steve McQueen. What the fuck? That's cool, yeah. He didn't have the mouth, the quite the mouth, but every other respect, they got the eyes, the way like the way he holds his eyes, and like, it was good. It, is it just Very me, nuanced. too, or the voice... And now that he's getting older, his face. Did uh, Brad Pitt remind you of Kurt Russell at all? Sure. No, oh, yeah. Which his I think may have also was been... very Kurt Russell. Like it's becoming like Kurt Russell. Well, that and uh, he had the very thinned out feathered hair, which was the Kurt Russell look for the entirety of the 80s. So, I mean, yeah, definitely a lot of Kurt Russell. I <laughs> wonder if that was on purpose or that he's just morphing into that. That's, I mean, oh, that would have been fucking weird. Uh, are you going to this with a Daryl fact? Yes. Uh, yeah, let me throw out to, to uh, Paul in case you're listening. I did not take notes in the movie theater. <laughs> um, James Marsden, you know James Marsden. I do. Was cast to play and filmed to play Burt Reynolds. Interesting. How weird would it have been to have a film with Burt Reynolds in it as George Spahn? Yeah. And then to have uh, someone playing him. That'd be cool. Yeah. Uh, Danny... <laughs> Danny Strong, that was uh, my bad. this cat, if you if you know him from looking at him, okay, so mostly a voice actor, uh, was also on uh, Buffy, okay, um, was cast and filmed, uh, Dean Martin, nice for stuff. Uh, had they done stuff with the Wrecking Crew other than just show clips the from the movie yeah. and clips from the movie, yeah, lobby cards, yeah, that was cool. Um, but I cannot off the top of my head, uh, oh, they got a real Polish kid to play Roman, Roman Polanski. That's great. <laughs> So, uh, Rumor Willis was great. Short, but great. Um, who's the fucking... Who's the kid? Where's the kid? But it was... Uh, I'm, I'll yeah, find it. Yeah, but I want to I want to kind of go back again and see it. Not right away or anything. Mm-hmm. 
but I do want to unpack some of what Tarantino is doing. The, the closest I can come up with is the the duality between Sharon Tate and uh, what was DiCaprio's character? Rick Dalton. Rick Dalton. Rick fucking Dalton. Yeah. So uh, they're kind of like the guy who's trying to kind of have a career resurgence and someone who's just be- like blossoming into a performer. And I think part of it too is who you like who you know in a bad way and who you know in a good way right because we all know that Sharon Tate's connection to Charles Manson versus Rick Dalton who was literally saved by the fact that he had his you know his friend Cliff whatever his last name is um Cliff Cliff Booth Mm -hmm. um behind him to save him when he needed him the most so it's kind of like that kind of the way Hollywood worked in that regard and also kind of the allegory of the decay of Hollywood at that point and the decaying of Hollywood now. Those are the only two things I can really see in him just kind of housing it in this very Kubrickian, Link Letter-esque, like, experience more than a movie or these, like, these these various points that all tie together oddly, like, kind of like when you look at something in retrospect, how it all kind of overlies. It's a, it's a weird flick. Yo, that fucking girl is 10 years old. She said she was eight. Yeah. Well, she was probably eight when they shot yeah. it. Yeah. But unlike, that girl is un- legitimately unlike, a child. Unlike fucking Dalton's performance, I think my performance on this podcast would have been better with some whiskey sours. <laughs> eight whiskey sours. <laughs> eight whiskey sours. Eight whiskey. Couldn't you just have three or four? <laughs> that was great. Yeah. When he's just going and off that bouncy ass mirror. Yeah. And Kept and moving. the motivation of an actor. You better get your goddamn lines on a blow your fucking brains out That's great. to yourself in a mirror. Yeah. I love that he had the lines recorded on a fucking uh, actual like real. Yeah, especially like, when yeah. he did the Mexican. Voice. Oh, my God. It was so bad. <laughs> yeah, that was that was quite something. Yeah, that was quite something. But yeah, I mean, like I again, I that was Austin Butler as Tex. Jesus didn't didn't see that coming. Brex or. <laughs> That was it. <laughs> Something <Yeah>. stupid. <laughs> Something. No, it was dumber than that. Yeah, dumber than that. Dumber than that. <laughs> <laughs> no, nah, it was. I mean, fucking. I uh, just Brad Pitt. Great. Yeah. Great. 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 Yep. I thought Bruce Lee was going to play a bigger role for some reason. It felt like that. Which fucking was. Mike Moe did an amazing job as yeah, Bruce Lee. He looked great. Like that was. He had the mannerisms. He he was really good. Yeah, he was very very Bruce Lee. So except he did get his ass kicked <laughs> yeah you wonder what would happen had they gone at it again because they like, had the third round yeah because yeah. it's like he he underestimated him mm-hmm. for sure like i think at first it was just like cliff being like yeah what's he gonna do and then he does it and he's like oh shit i didn't see that coming and then like, go ahead and then boom and then bruce was like i didn't see that coming but so. even bruce was talking about before that that basically the martial arts is a dance and a show yeah where the american fighter is they just want to beat their opponent yep. up mm-hmm. it was good it was a well hand and like really well choreographed all the punches and everything were really i mean they were moving quick for mm-hmm. a stunt like a scene stunt kind of thing like or like a choreographed stunt scene like that was really good yeah um did you see the nice guys the fucking uh the shane black yeah uh yeah yeah with uh, ryan gosling and yeah uh, the russell crowe yeah it was good the fucking uh the girl that played pussycat was in that Oh, neat. Okay. You know, you know who she is? She's Andy McDowell's daughter. Hmm. Yeah. Hmm, I can see sense. it now in the face. We all love pussy. Big fucking face. Yes, we do. <laughs> Thanks, Lena Dunham. <laughs> yeah. Thanks, Lena Dunham. Didn't think it was you at first. Thought they got a Lena Dunham lookalike. <laughs> I was like, nope, that's actually Lena Dunham. She's yeah. got a little bit softer around the face. Yeah. Yeah, I was a uh, girl from Stranger Things. Season three was in there. 
She was the one that ran off when they were going to go kill everybody. Oh, I haven't seen season three yet. Yeah, so. she's really good. Uh, Harley Quinn Smith in there. Yeah, was she? Yeah. Yeah, she was one of the uh, one of the, the hippies in the, the opening scene. Dakota nice. Fanning Ginger? She was Squeaky from. Squeaky. Yeah. Okay. Well, he called her Ginger when yeah. he poked her. Mm-hmm. Boy, is she getting weirder and weirder looking. Yeah. She's always been weird looking. That's the fucking but secret. And every time she looks differenter and differenter. Yeah, it's her. There was a point where her and her sister looked kind of similar. To be honest, her sister, the older they get, her sister's looking more and more like her again. Like, think about Neon Demon. Yeah, that's what I mean. Yeah. I think she looks, she looks, but she still looks different. Yeah, you know mm-hmm. I mean, like they track totally differently. It was weird. But yeah, that's uh, Squeaky From, one of the... Uh, it was really weird, She's though. the one who attempted to assassinate Gerald Ford. Mm. Sure. Did you not know that? I knew of it. I, my Manson family now, I hate... Mm. <laughs> All right, this is a personal The only thing. Fan, the Manson stuff I know is like the beautiful people and... Um... Aw. <laughs> <laughs> and, and the remake of Sweet Dreams and... <laughs> so Marilyn, not Charles. Oh. Got it. Yeah, there's a difference. Um... I hate a lot, and this is like very popular to do, but I hate it when people really glorify serial killers mm-hmm. and people who've mm-hmm. done fucking horrible. Like we're seeing Netflix all the Ted Bundy just, shit. Yeah, all the Ted Bundy shit, all the Dahmer shit. Right mm-hmm. before, oh, I it's love like, Dahmer. He's my favorite fucking... serial killer. So there's a. I hate it when people say they have a favorite serial well, killer. So here's well, then the you thing. hate me. You want to fight? Right? Yeah. Please not. Please not on my podcast. Um, we'll th- just do a little thing. We'll try to knock each other down. Okay. Whoever gets knocked in their All butt. Right. I'm hitting you in the foot. Three. Just saying. Like, you're going right down quick. Gout. I ain't fucking right around. Right in the gout. I'm taking you down no, like a sweet no, no gout hits. That's unfair. So, um, like, true crime is very popular right now. Yes. Because... As as I'll take it, I'll take or it. BTK the, was a well, little yeah. the recent one. I'll, I'll take it a lot of the way that the um, the hosts of the My Favorite Murder podcast do it is murder is the most terrible thing that can happen to somebody, right? And one of the ways you can cope with that is by like either obsessing or getting way into it, or you know making a joke or whatever. It's, you got to do something. Oh yeah, to I don't cope mind taking the piss it. for sure. Or, or you just have to do something to cope with the yeah the, the terrible tragedy, right? And some of that is just people getting obsessed. The natural, unfortunately, the natural extension of that is to then look to not the victims but the the perpetrators yes. and that's when it becomes a problem yep like somebody posted a while ago was a picture of all of um of ted bundy's victims yeah and it was just like hey instead of all of the glorifying of him like talk about his crime make a movie make a biopic about him that's fine but remember he wasn't just like this seductive you know smoke show he actually murdered all of these women right he murdered human people yeah like that's- like remember them yeah when you're telling the story about him. Right. It's just, I mean, like, don't like, I mean, like, whoa, he did all this. Cra- it's like, what? Like, what is wrong with you? Like, it's not a, like a whoa, cool thing. It's like severe. Like, I think a lot of the the horror gets taken out of it. And when people are like, I like this, like Jeffrey Dahmer ate people. OK, he also murdered them and like did terrible things to them. Fucking Ed Gein did terrible things to not a ton of people, but what he did was fucking ghastly. Mm-hmm. Nipple so, belt. Like, let us not forget, yeah, lamp- lampshades made of human, like, he did some fucked up shit. Human lips is curtain pulls. Yeah. I like, happened to just recently listen to an episode of My Favorite Murder where they went over the, uh, yeah, and, it's like so. really, really fucking out there. I just, I don't, like, I don't mind if you, like, you kind of get into it or that's your thing because you're trying to, like, 
understand or it. Just or just cope with the fact that this happened. Like, it's part of humanity, right? Like, there are people who are human beings who did this. So, like, trying to understand it is certainly a like, thing. Like, I find it all extremely fascinating. Yeah. Because that's morbid curiosity. But a lot of people glorify yeah. it. I this know people yeah. who get tattoos of, like, no, these serial killers. Like, that's no. like, oh, I just like, want to cut me, it off. For, I'm for not, me, not like, a serial who, killer. <laughs> I want to cut off people's skin kind of way. For me, as somebody who... Uh, Do you know someone that was serial killed? I don't. <laughs> For me, as somebody who spent a lot of time, I killed on... off a box of Captain Crunch this morning. Though. He is a serial killer. Kill him. Oh, like uh, like hackers. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Matthew Lillard. Yeah, the serial killer. But anyway, for somebody who um, spends a lot of time on the parts of the internet that most people don't spend a lot of time on, uh, you'd think I've become desensitized at this point to this kind of stuff. But no, it's still uh, fascinating to me. But like one of the reasons that I went to study marketing, and this has a payoff. So let me let me go. Um, um, take your time. No, Jan, that was know? for the fans. I know. Uh, this has a payoff. <laughs> I wanted to get in a joke. Uh, one of the reasons I went to study marketing was because the reason people make decisions and the decisions they make fascinates me. Human psychology fascinates me, but I could never study it because I'd probably put a bullet in my brain. Um, also, damn, wanted to figure out the angle to make the most money figuring this out. There's also that. Uh, I often Sorry joke, about your luck. <laughs> I often joke my sister is out there trying to save the world, and I'm trying to figure out how to buy it. Um, but anyway, I am still fucking 15 years after making that almost 15 years after making that decision, fascinated by people and the decisions like what drives a person to do anything? Right. A car. What drove you to make that joke? What drove me to decide I drive. to do this podcast? My car drove me here. You I know, drive. And what, this microphone allowed me to say it on this podcast. And But that's the thing, right? It's like, what what is the motivation? Why? Because the computer's hard drive it, will put it on the internet. It comes down <laughs> to, for me, it comes down to the... Uh, the questions of human existence. That's probably not right. Not necessarily why are we here, but why are we doing the things we're doing while we're here, right? I'm not right. questioning. I don't have the the you know uh, the great existential questions. Fuck that. I, my anxiety is way too bad to even think about that. But the motivations of human existence while we are here right. fascinate me. Like why why did I why did I go to Jimmy John's and get a sandwich? You know why did I do whatever I did? Did and, you go to Jimmy John's and get a sandwich? Yes, on my way here. That's why you were late. Well, no, she's st- we we stopped and I like how you blamed Natalie. Threw her right under the uh, bus too. No, it's didn't fine. I say it was food? Yep. Well, I mean, I was hungry. But I mean, there's nothing wrong with that. I like Jimmy John's. Yeah, it didn't bring us any. Fucker didn't even offer. I, you had snacks at the theater. I he had doesn't fucking need popcorn and Twizzlers. I could. to kill Swizzlers. to kill the boredom in his goddamn movie. <laughs> Swizzlers. Daryl did literally. He almost fell asleep, and then he went and got snacks in yeah, the but, middle of the movie. And I said to you, like a half an hour in. When is this movie going to get fucking no, good? I, well, that, and I said, I, I should go get some popcorn to help with the boredom. Well, the first thing you said was, when does this fucking movie get good? <laughs> and now, meanwhile, meanwhile, on the other side of the theater, Natalie and I are sitting there going, this is fucking great. Yeah. Because <laughs> half the time I looked over, you were just looking in her eyes. You weren't even watching the movie. What the fuck are you talking about, Holmes? <laughs> fucking weird. First guy. off, I got ADD bad enough. I can look in her eyes and at the theater at the same time. You think I have a fucking lazy eye the way I, I can see this movie in your eyeballs. <laughs> I, I can't give myself a lazy eye. He's going to try to do it. Right, he's trying to do it. Auditory right. medium. Way to go, Dan. Your right, podcast entertainer. Yeah. You and you can be lazy. Where you Podcast, yeah. Podcast for seven years. Still can't figure out it's not a visual medium. Yep. Nope. He's real bad at that. Podcasting indeed. Look, no. everyone. Look what I'm doing. Yeah. Look into my <laughs> That's eye. part of the reason why when we do Did You See, look it's really can... hard to bring a trailer to Did You See? Mm-hmm. Because like it's like otherwise like you're just kind of regurgitating what happened in the trailer that yeah. kind of captivated you about it. It's like it's I've been uh, I only do a trailer if it's really like something I can really talk about happens in it because just any trailer is like it's hard to talk about a trailer. Mm-hmm. It's weird. Trailers suck. 
because they lie. <laughs> well, this, just, I don't think this trailer lied. No, this well, so, trailer lied. So here's lied. the thing. The trailer definitely played up the Manson stuff oh, a bit yes, more than the it film absolutely did. did. But here's the thing for me is when this film was first announced, it was Tarantino does a movie about Hollywood featuring Charles Manson. But then when the marketing hit, it was, hey, uh, Charlie's going to love you, and this is fucking Charles Manson and, yeah. and, and whatnot. And so the marketing shifted from the announcement Because that first trailer, release. I think, was fairly straightforward other than Manson was in it. I think yeah. once or twice. But that's about as, whole, as much as he was in the movie. <laughs> on the way, when we're driving on the way home, I said, well, if this, if, if any of his movies are going to be like this, now is the time for him to retire. And then Max goes, well, what about the rated R uh, Star Trek? I said, well, if the first two hours have nothing to do with Star Trek, I don't need to see that one either. <laughs> It just the end is the Enterprise, and that's it. <laughs> just like, damn, that would have been sweet. I mean, he said it's going to be Pulp Fiction in space. So yeah, I whatever. But I just Star Trek with Surf Rock. Mm. Hell yeah! Have you you used to watch CSI, right? Mm? Did you ever see the episodes, the two episode arc that he did, yeah. so the season finale, season five, where yep. uh, Nick ends up in the the cast or in the buried? That I think is in the buried. In the buried, yeah. Uh, that I think is a uh, another. A great example of Tarantino loves a certain thing, and Tarantino, like every one of his movies, is Quentin loves a thing, and he's going to show you that thing. Sure. Every other time he's made a movie, it's been I like this kind of movie, and you're going to get it. We've talked about that on every episode of the podcast so far. Yeah. This movie was I like a period of time in a particular city. That's what you're getting. It's yeah. not like this isn't Quentin. Like if anything, it's Quentin Tarantino does an art house picture, but um, yeah. I so. wanted so I wanted to ask a question not about this movie specifically, just because next episode obviously is the, the ranking. Rank. Yeah. So make rank. sure you get us your list. Contact at superliminalfilms.com. You can hit us up on any of the social media, and we will accept your list. Twitter.com slash superliminalflm. Uh, all three of us are available on Facebook if you're friends with us or if you know us. Uh, Twitter.com slash champblankman, B-L-A-N-K-M-A-N. That's me. Specifically, shoot your ranking to any one of those places, and... Yeah, you can you comment can, it on a YouTube video. You, we'll find it. You can comment it under this uh, podcast post, post on Facebook. Yeah, anywhere, or, uh, anywhere. Can you do it on the website too? Uh, I don't think I don't think I enabled commenting Good. on the post. Probably no yeah. offense, everybody. Well, most people don't. We get, get a lot their, of bots. Well, most people don't get their stuff from the website directly anyway. Yeah. Like I don't, I don't remember. Oh, Write I do a review actually, on iTunes. Yeah, I do actually remember the last time I got a uh, got a podcast review or a podcast directly from a website. And it was when the RSS feed wasn't working. But. So, um, I did want to talk about. Uh, the three movies that Tarantino wrote but did not direct, specifically True Romance, Natural Born Killers, and From Dust Till Dawn. And I just wanted to get your bloke's opinion on if you had to rank those. How would you rank them? Have you seen all three of no, them? I've oh, also, seen From Dust Till Dawn. If you haven't seen this, don't worry about it on your list. If you haven't seen a couple of them, just get us what you have. Yeah, get us the order that you have. We'll make it work. Yeah, we got we got a system. Jared will help us out with the math. He's a math man. Um, so. Daryl admits to only having seen From Dust Till Dawn. Yeah, yeah. I have, uh, I have not seen True Romance in since my freshman year of college. Okay, and I have not seen Natural Born Killers in almost a decade. Okay, I watched From Dust Till Dawn and Texas Blood Money last year. Hmm. Sorry about the Texas Blood Money part. Boy, that one's terrible. Oh boy, it's bad. What is that? Sequel. The third oh, one, I think. I think it's the third one. Yeah, I think it's the third one. Yeah, maybe it's. Yeah, I think it's the third one. But I heard the TV series is pretty redeeming. It comes on Robert Rodriguez's uh, 
television El channel. Ray. El Ray. Um, I heard that was pretty good, but I know that the, I watched the first sequel. I didn't bother with the second sequel because the first sequel was so atrocious that I don't even know if I made Texas it all the way Blood through. Money is the first sequel. It's atrocious. And someone Robert Patrick. Yep, which is really a shame. T one thousand not being uh, utilized. No, super it's well it's very one. very bad. But uh, he's been in he's been in some he bad has. horror movies. Lance Henriksen tends to trend in the same direction. Mm-hmm. Um, but I would say for my money, uh, Natural Born is my least favorite of the three. I still really like it a lot. It would still rank higher than probably one or maybe it would come towards the bottom of a list if I were to incorporate it into the rankings. Uh, but I think it would be towards the bottom. Uh, from Dust Till Dawn would be pretty high up there on my list because I really like From Dust Till Dawn a lot. I mean, it's but, a great story, and fucking Navarro and Rodriguez did a great job. If we were to incorporate uh, those three into my list, I don't know what I would rank higher: True Romance or Reservoir Dogs. It would be True Romance, fighting is a very for good film, very close to the top. Again, I haven't seen it in fifteen years. True almost, Romance but... is so fucking good. Why are we not talking about my best friend's birthday? Your best friend's birthday? Yeah. <laughs> The movie, his for uh, his actual first movie. Yeah, I've never seen it. Nor have I. I don't think anyone has. No. <laughs> um, but yeah, those three are just. Those three are all good movies. I think for my for I don't know where I'd put them in the list, but I know from Dust Till Dawn would be up there, like probably in the top five, and True Romance would be either one or two. Because True Romance is just it's nearly a perfect film. It's so good. Same with. What I consider to be Reservoir Dogs, nearly a perfect. Film. I actually think I, the first time I saw Dust Till Dawn, I didn't know it was a vampire movie. That's so. Cool. I, I know I didn't. I completely got the holy. Yep. Fuck. Oh man, I'm so jealous. So, so sadly, though, the first time I saw it was a television edit, mm. which is not, mm. from what I remember, uh, from what I remember, it was about forty minutes shorter. <laughs> yep. And way different. Yeah, that's a shame. Did you get the drink wine from Selma Hayek's toes? I think so. Once again, <laughs> God damn it, Tarantino. I, I leaned over to my wife about four times during this movie. I was like, God damn it, Tarantino. Literal foot and mouth. <laughs> literal foot and mouth. Just, just like literal, like fucking just the shots of like, what was it? The shot of them walking through the fucking airport or whatever, where it cut to the feet. Mm-hmm. I was just like, God damn it, Tarantino. Yep. Every fucking time. Every, there were so many feet. It's like he got out, out from under fucking Miramax and he's just like, I'm going to put. All the fucking feet in this movie. Yeah, final cut, you say? Yeah, I got I got final cut approval. Thanks, Siri. From the from special guest Siri. From the fuck, by the way, who asked if we'd all silenced our cell phones before we entered the movie theater? Gets fucking Siri out it of the is. podcast. My ringer was silent. Oh, that's fine, but you brought Siri to the podcast. I didn't. You got. Why are you a fucking cunt? All the all the fucking feet in the final cut, you. <laughs> so it hurt. So it hurt. <laughs> it hurt you, and then him because he said final cut. Final All cut pro. Feet. All the Siri. Feet. What do you think about Quentin and feet? It's your opinion that counts. Thank you. It's your opinion that counts. Well, Tarantino's a little bit into feet, well, and look, I'm not gonna yuck anyone's yum, but Jesus Christ, I don't think I've ever seen a film where the directors particularly specific fetish was more obvious than this one. Um, are you sure? Are you sure? Have you seen the kind of movies you watch? Yeah, I'm still going to say uh, non-pornographic, non-softcore pornographic, non-sexploitation film 
I oh, so I will categorize non Nazi exploitation film because yeah. SX Experiment Love Camp is in my is and has a very specific yeah. fetish. Well, but I don't know if that was the director's very specific fetish or if that was made for people with that specific <laughs> fetish. That's true. This is quite obviously this fucking guy loves him some thin lady feet. <laughs> some nasty ones at that. Dirty feet. I don't man. dirty and calloused. I'm and just gonna long, go on record and say I don't toes. get it. I don't get the foot thing. Hey man, I don't if want... you ain't into it, you ain't into it. No, and I'm but... not gonna bash anybody, but I just don't understand like like looking at a foot, it's not like like oh baby. That's a sexual thing for some people. I know it's There's weird. people who have sexual attraction to inanimate fucking objects as a woman who wants to fuck the Eiffel Tower. Uh, it's just weird Para- shit. Paraphilias exist. How man. about worming? Anyone into that? Munging? Worm, worming. I don't know worming. I know munging. Worming is licking the eyeball. Oh, that's gross. <laughs> Look, man, there's people into crushing. like Cake sitting. Cake sitting? Yeah. That's weird. But, I mean, crushing is literally killing things with feet. And people get off to that. That's, like, whatever. I mean, that's, again. It, it's it, weird. As I said to someone the other day when I was having a discussion, I will yuck no one's yum as long as their yum is legal and that someone is not a turf. <laughs> Turfs. Um, but I... Is there any sexual booger eating? Probably. I'm, I think if there's a, per, like, a, a thing Rule you can 34. think of, you can, yeah, you can probably find it. You can it. think of it, there's porn of it. Eye crust? Sure. I mean, if they're going to lick the eye, I mean, maybe that's just a bonus, right? <laughs> yeah. Oh, look, the crusty bits. Yeah. But yeah, like... It's like a texture change. And so this dude just loves him some feet. Instead of, like, just, like, normal, like, pudding, it's, like, flan, where there's, like, a hard crust on top. Oh, boy, that's a horrible How about using earwax as lubricant? Hey, guys, can we get, uh... (laughs) Flan is just gross, also. It is. Just throwing that out. Can we get, like, something adjacent to the point? Adjacent to the uh, earwax as... Let's see, what's... Would you like me to describe for the audience what munging is? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to tell the audience exactly what they can do with a lifetime supply of chocolate. (laughs) That's the second time in a week I've referenced that. That's quote. so good. That's so good. <laughs> that may be one the of the. That's one of the all-time. I mean, especially for a children's yeah. movie, it's one of the I'm all-time great the computer lines. Exactly what it can do with a lifetime supply of chocolate. Because, like, as a kid, that just goes like. Yeah. It's not like you have to get it, but just you don't worry about it. But as an adult, you're like, oh, that's I love that. Funny. Yeah. But so, so the other thing here too is that like, I am not a fan of Margot Robbie as an actress. Previous to this film. I something about the characters that she's been given to play, the characters she's chosen to play. Tanya Harding. Just I didn't see that. The, the movie was picture, fine, but I'm with so. you. I'm the movies that she's been in are okay, mm-hmm. but she doesn't. Yeah, she. It's and it's, I'm not saying she's like a terrible actress. Like she's not like like any of the actresses that'll wind up on like sci-fi shit or whatever else. But like she just doesn't do it for me, mm-hmm. right? It's not. It's Harley Quinn. She was okay. I hated everything that it was that movie. So I have not watched that movie out of fear of like. Uh, I move I, on before I start talking about Batman. So I, anyway, I, I almost cannot hate a superhero movie. Yeah, right. Yeah, well, you like Batman versus you. Superman. I so, don't. so to my point here, like, I actually liked Blech. her performance as Sharon Tate because of what I've seen of Sharon Tate as an actress, and what I know of Sharon Tate circa that time in Hollywood. And she was five minutes in the movie, maybe. That felt. She certainly did smile watching a movie. She didn't do very much. But in that. that felt to me very. True to the to the uh, character she was portraying. That's the thing when you when you have people portraying real life people, you either have to go completely off the fucking rails and get it like way the crazy fuck out there, or you get a a true staid performance that makes sense to the character. And I think that uh, all of the real people, at least the ones that I knew of, who were depicted in this film, were very true to reality. Yeah. 
um, like Squeaky from batshit fucking insane. Like she pointed with her foot. Like that's fucking again Tarantino. But um, like uh, fucking Margot Robbie, I think did uh, for my money the best performance she's ever delivered. And uh, fucking um, name person Emil Hirsch. Emil Hirsch. Sure. Yeah, it was a fine JC. Like all all of the 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 people surrounding Sharon Tate. Again, of the people that I knew before this, did fine. Um, the cat played Steve McQueen, just looked too much like him. Like fucking yeah, same with the Polanski yeah. guy. As we discussed, Mike Moe did a great. Oh uh, yeah, very good. Great Bruce Lee. Uh, like all of that was fantastic. By the way, thing I wanted to mention because we're getting sort of close to when we should be probably wrapping this up. Thing I wanted to mention: <coughs> the fucking uh, cutting Rick Dalton into the Great Escape. Yeah, was incredible. That was fun. That was aw- like just that was. A digital overlay over the scene that's actually there. Yeah, him on green and then just superimposed into that yeah, scene. That was fantastic. It was cool. Great use of the, te- of the technology. Same with the Pan Am. Yeah, it was well, over well the lit and yeah. all that kind of thing. It was just, it looked like he was there. But like, yeah, a little you bit. You could tell but, a yeah. bit, but it looked because he was too, uh, he, there was no grain on him, whereas there is grain on the rest of it. Yeah. But uh, just a, a wonderful, wonderful piece of cinema, right? And then having the Hollywood backlot there during that as well with the the shades over it, like yeah. all of that was fantastic. No, I mean you could tell again he had. You mean he definitely had an affection for that period of time, specifically in that location. Yeah, that place, that time, those people, that life. Yeah. all of that was exactly what he was about. I think Polanski was a cross between Paul Revere and the Raiders and Austin Powers. Yeah, because of the puppy shirt and the velvet suit jacket. The, the, yeah, the velour. Uh, the other thing I think, too, is like Tarantino would have been um, six when all of that happened. Right. So, like, that could be some earliest memories for him. Right. Or just like, like the TV reruns of stuff mm-hmm. like Bounty Hunter and yeah. things like that. Yeah. Or Bounty Law. <laughs> Bounty Law. All, all that stuff from that era was would have been his childhood. Yeah, the Batman and Robin radio plug at the that very was end great. there. That was cool. That was fantastic. Dial the bat phone. Yep. Get to come to the set and yeah. get a whatever it was. Oh, man, I'd shit my pants. To go into the back cave. Oh, yeah. Come on. With Burt Ward and Adam West. Yeah, I just wonder how those poles work, man. How they get their clothes off and new clothes on. <laughs> How's that work? I want to use earwax lube to get into the bat cave. Yeah, whatever it takes. Atomic batteries to power. Turbines to speed. Turbines to speed. <laughs> I just like saying gross things to piss Dan off. I'm over it. Hella credit to Los Angeles, by the way, for not changing that much in 50 years. Because a lot of that shit is just still there. <laughs> like, for some reason, L.A. was like, yeah, the 60s and 70s were cool. Let's just leave all this shit up. Nice work shooting around all the In-N-Out burgers. Yeah, yeah. Nice work shooting around. The- Dude, that fucking Taco Bell shot when everything was coming yeah. on. That was great. Vintage-ass Taco Bell. Yeah, I remember that. I remember that logo. The yeah. old, Yeah, the old Taco Bell. And, That's like, um, the, for me, too, like, um, <clears throat> the Cinerama Dome was very cool because I have an affection for uh, Cinerama, specifically a Cinerama piece that I've never seen because I, I don't want to see it not in Cinerama and it's hard to find. Is It was a piece called This Is Cinerama. It's a uh, like a um, documentary style thing they did to test the technology. Neat. If you're not familiar, Cinerama is basically like ultra widescreen, like those curved widescreen televisions they yeah. have now. It was that projected, but it was projected onto a dome like an IMAX, so everything was shot in such a, an aspect ratio that when projected, it would be square. Yeah. Even though it 
as because we what it was a Harry Potter we saw in the IMAX dome the fourth where one, yeah. the corners were pinched and the mm. center was stretched, right? So you have to adjust for that. Harry Potter and Oliver. Yeah, that one, Goblet. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I do remember that now. Angry, but, angry Michael Gambon. Yeah, it's a shame. I'll say it. I've said it before. I'll say it on this podcast too. If we had never had Richard Harris, Michael Gambon would have been a fine Dumbledore. Yeah, because we had real Dumbledore. Yeah, then we had fake ass Dumbledore after that. Living actual Dumbledore and Richard Harris. Yeah. Oh my God. He was also, so Abbe Faria in um, fucking The Count of Monte Cristo. He's so good in that movie. <sighs> He's great. Talk about three hour movies. Mm. Talk about British actors with drinking problems. Hey Daryl, don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> I've already yelled at Jared for not fucking yawning on our other stiff. So don't yawn on stiff. This. Stiff. Hi Jared. Yeah. <laughs> Hi Jared. Dan Stiff. I, I know you listen, and I'm stiff talking about you. Stiff. Yeah. So stiff armed. Uh, we don't have any trivia here because there isn't too much trivia left to, uh, or there isn't too much trivia out yet. Right. The film is uh, brand new. I did see Mad Magazine. That was pretty cool. So, rock on, Mad Magazine. Yeah. Please stop. I'm not. Also, why do you have anything. Scottish Siri? Here's what I found. <laughs> Here's what I found. Irish. Here's what I found. Termo alchemist. Adam fucking alchemist. It was I. It was it's Irish series. Yeah, yes, that's true. That would be Irish, not Scottish. Um, so I think probably gonna run it to the end here. Um, overall, touch me Nublins in Dublin. Touch me Nublins in Dublin. Yeah, I think it's time to call it for the night. Uh, overall, um, definitely, like I said, wouldn't crack my top three, but probably comes in my top five. Wow. And uh, but this is gonna be hard, right? This to me of the three, because I've been on all three seasons of this. This to me will be the hardest ranking. Because I know what my bottom is. I know none of the others. Like, still. I've seen everything now. I know not where I rank any of them except for the bottom. I know We've all number. seen your bottom. I know I know my number one. Yeah. You know your one. Do you know anything else? Or is it going to be an agonizing I process? I, I still got to wrestle. Yeah. That's, I know number one. This, this one's actually, like, this one is the difficult one. Like, the Marvel ones, I had a pretty obvious... Uh, inclination well, there's firefly, some stinkers yeah firefly didn't change much for me as max gave me a i think for daryl's for daryl's money there's probably this one is the stinker like one stinker out of nine is that's makes it a hard list to yeah. build mm-hmm. oh yeah this is the only one that i can say that i dislike yeah. yeah which for for an entire filmography ain't fucking bad either yeah what no. other director like, can you say that about yeah not many carpenter maybe go some mars and the rest are yeah, pretty good unfortunately my man my man john's put did put out some stinkers yeah some mars is pretty terrible but i like vampires but he wasn't always out there to make his movie he there was are, a jobler. there are pages yeah he was a jobler yep did some job he made the Starmans. he was a jobler so anyway folks if you like what you're hearing it's www.superliminalfilms.com we can also be found on facebook youtube twitter twitch and instagram gonna go right ahead and tell you that if you want to rank the quentin tarantino films in an order from one to nine or one to however many you feel like ranking get those to us before August 5th. Or just your favorite. I'll let every favorite. let everyone know, too. Kill Bill's one. Yes, Kill Bill ranks as one movie, because that's how Quentin sees it. That's how we see it. Kill Bill ranks as one film. Get them into us before August 5th. That way we can tabulate, and I can make Jared do some arithmetic, and we can have a fan vote. We can have our vote, and then we can work that out on the final ranking episode. We can work it out. Please vote. Yeah, your vote is important. Your vote matters. Bye, everybody.